I told you so. I told you so again. We started the Football Diehards podcast yesterday with an I told you so on Arian Foster. His value would spike the moment he signed with a team. That's what I've been saying for months, and then it happened. My name is Matt Kelly, but I really should change my name to Miss Cleo. Yeah, man. Come in here. Let me look at my crystal ball, yeah. That's <laughs> the worst. Just awful. Miss Cleo Nostradamus. Manstranamus. Mansion in Nostradamus. Manstranamus. Is that what I am? Am I, am I Manstradamus? I am. I see the future. How many times have you been listening to Roto Underworld Radio and heard something you weren't hearing anywhere else? In this case, Le'Veon Bell is the riskiest fantasy asset in fantasy football today. That's what I've been saying on a perpetual loop across all my podcasts. Sonic Truth Podcast, we have a show called Le'Veon Bell, Where There's Smoke, There's Fire. On the Football Die Hard show, we did a team-by-team breakdown focusing on the Steelers in which we talked about Le'Veon Bell's risk factors being so great they have been impossible to calculate. Now we have some clarity. His last skip test, which he alluded to in a tweet on 420, and then again was alluded to by a single beat reporter report, a single report from a verified account last month, and then nothing, and then crickets. And then we all shuffled off to our Scott Fishbowl drafts and selected Le'Veon Bell number one. And that didn't make any sense. We lamented on the show and other shows that I host, why is it we constantly talk about the risk factors with surrounding players from Josh Gordon to Arian Foster, but no one wants to talk about the multitude of risk factors with Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell existed up until today in that rare space above reproach. But now he's a serial violator of the league's substance abuse policies, and he will start to be viewed differently. The Le'Veon Bell fantasy stock is officially tainted. If it wasn't tainted after the first two major knee injuries and the first substance abuse violation, it's it's tainted now, forever tainted. And I told you this would happen. I told you if you own Le'Veon Bell in Dynasty, sell I even said this on the SiriusXM Rotoballer show. Every platform that I've appeared on and spoken into a microphone, whether it's satellite radio or podcast, Sonic Truth Podcast, my Dynasty podcast with Nate Liss, Football Die Hard show, Roto Underworld show, this has been a common topic. Stay the hell away from Le'Veon Bell in Dynasty. And if you're going to draft him and redraft, go ahead because he has that Ladanian Tomlinson ceiling, but you better handcuff him with D'Angelo Williams. Oh, you better do that. Oh, you better do that. It's You can have delusions of grandeur with Le'Veon Bell because we've seen him do it before, score over 23 fantasy points per game, but you sure as hell better handcuff him with one of the few one-for-one handcuffs in the NFL, D'Angelo Williams. And if you didn't, you're cavalier and you deserve what's happening to you today. How was it not obvious he was going to fail a test or skip a test? 
He spent the offseason making a rap album with Snoop Doggy Dog. If that's the choice you're making in the offseason, then you're risking failing a test on secondhand smoke alone. What are you doing? Either you want to be a football player or you don't. I don't think Le'Veon Bell does. I think Le'Veon Bell has had success in the music industry and his other job asked him to come to fly back to Pittsburgh to take a test and he said, no thank you. Kind of busy making this music album. Thanks anyway though, guys. Geez, I could stay in the studio and have lots of fun with my best friends making music downloaded by millions of people. Or I can opt to have my head caved in every Sunday for less money than Snoop Doggy Dog is paying me. Those are the decision points in Le'Veon Bell's life. We explained all of this to you. No one else did. Members of this audience are my little spies in Westeros. So many of you communicate with me via text, direct message. So many little buzzards out there. They don't look like buzzards anymore. I now am surrounded by a flock of birds of all types. The actual buzzards in the sky, you all are really easy to notice. You're crude, you're unimaginative, and you drop the worst possible questions and ideas and retorts on my social media lap. And you are now predominantly ignored now that our audience has been built up to a level. And we've built up a flock now of all different types of birds. Little hummingbirds and sparrows and eagles and ospreys and gross beaks and nuthatches. Little goldfinches, so cute and pretty. And you all listen to every podcast and every radio show and have reported back that exactly zero individuals in the fantasy community were talking about the risk inherent in Le'Veon Bell in the way that I was. I have a decision to make. Should I trade Le'Veon Bell in Dynasty? The answer has always been definitively yes. Do you own Le'Veon Bell? Get rid of him for top dollar at this very moment. And your team will be better off in the long run because of it. And if you are not following the zero RB precepts, which you should be, if you're going to hold on to robust RB, well, that strategy is already failing everyone that drafted Le'Veon Bell in the first round. So you also get what you deserve not implementing the optimal strategy, which is zero RB. Everyone that drafted Le'Veon Bell, particularly those that didn't bother to handcuff him with D'Angelo Williams, you are getting what you deserve because it was obvious. He told you on social media that he skipped a test. You're just practicing cognitive dissonance. And if you want to do that, if you want to just cancel out the information available in the world and just do whatever you want to do in a vacuum, go ahead. But don't expect to win a fantasy championship. And you sure as hell shouldn't be listening to this show because all this show does is forecast correctly, give you the correct warnings at the correct times, timely information about the most important fantasy assets. We don't talk much about players like Carson Palmer on this show because why would we? Why would we? There's no point. There's no new information that that could surface on Carson Palmer. There's no action item. There's no need for us to create some contrived show device. March Madness of tight ends or the NFC wide receiver awards 
or an AFC versus NFC fantasy convention. I nominate Julio Jones. No, this show is better than that. Some contrived device to talk about all the receivers in the league equally. That's not what we do on this show. We talk about the players that are relevant. We talk about the players whose values are shifting the most. And when values shift quickly, it provides opportunity for those with the information to capitalize on the changing prices. This is why professional trading exists in marketplaces. I worked at the Chicago Board of Exchange for six months doing real arbitrage. That's why I hate using the word arbitrage on the show, because I did actual arbitrage work. But I still use the word ADP arbitrage, even though it's a phony, baseless term. That's what we do on this show. We extract value for the fantasy football community more than any other. Because that's what the Sparrows and Finches are telling me. They're telling me every day, this show provides more value. And this week, we saw it. It was laid at your feet going to continue with this awful bird analogy. I can't believe this, but I'm going to continue with it. I am the house cat and every morning you wake up and I am bringing dead birds and placing them on your doorstep saying, here, this is for you. It's what we do. You know, every day you open your podcast app and there's a new downloaded show from Matt Kelly. You know, there's going to be something valuable inside. It's an exciting day when you wake up and there's a new show because it's another opportunity for me to give you tomorrow's newspaper. And we continue with bad bird analogy talk on the Roto Underworld Radio. On to another buzzard message. And I want to make sure that you all know that you have a new way to not only support the show, support the Roto Underworld podcast specifically, but you can become an official show buzzard or minion. It's up to you. If you like this podcast, go to playerprofiler.com forward slash podcasts. And on the right hand side, click the button that says learn more about becoming an official show buzzard or minion. And you can start to support the show with a monthly contribution. And at the end of the season, I will send you an official Roto Underworld t-shirt or hooded sweatshirt, depending on your contribution. And you will get an official buzzard or minion designation on the back. Everyone that has signed up thus far has chosen the minion designation. Most of you fashion yourselves as members of this army, and I love it. But you know that I know that you know that I know that you know that many of you are also buzzards because I've read your emails, and you can email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com, or tweet us at Roto Underworld. So go to playerprofiler.com forward slash podcast now and become an official supporter of the show and member of the community. Very soon, we will only be reading buzzards by official members because, oh, the flock continues to grow. So let's get to it. Friendly Buzzard writes in, do you see any similarities between Javorius Allen and Jeremy Lankford? Absolutely, I see similarities between Jeremy Lankford and Javorius Allen. Both good, but not great 
College running backs with all-purpose skill sets, both athletic but underwhelmed in a small sample size while trapped on offenses completely devoid of offensive skill position weaponry as rookies. Think about the games in which Javorius Allen and Jeremy Langford started last season. Who did they share a field with? Jeremy Langford was sharing a field with Marquez Wilson and Mark Mariani and Zach Miller and a neutered Jay Cutler. Because that's what Adam Gaze did to him. Adam Gaze fixed Jay Cutler by breaking Jay Cutler's spirit, turning down all the knobs on the offense and saying, eh, no more loud music for you, Jay Cutler. No more prolific pass attempt seasons. No, 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 no. No more gunslinging. Turn the music down. Turn the pass attempts down. Just quiet, easy listening tunes for Jay Cutler's enjoyment. The only way to fix Jay Cutler is to throttle back Jay Cutler. To admit that Jay Cutler isn't particularly accurate and doesn't make great decisions. So limit the amount of opportunities that Jay Cutler has to hurt your football team. That's what Adam Gaze realized. So that's who Jeremy Langford had supporting him on the offense. Javorius Allen? When Javorius Allen was starting... Chris Givens was also starting, and Crockett Gilmore, and Matt Schaub, and Jimmy Clausen, and Ryan Mallett. The best offensive skill position player that shared a field with Javorius Allen and or Jeremy Langford last season was Kamar Aiken. Kamar Aiken? That's the guy? That's the guy keeping defenses honest? Kamar Aiken? Really? Really? Because I get it. Though Javorius Allen and Jeremy Langford have numerous positive traits on their profiles, college production, efficiency in the passing game, athleticism, they both produced below average yards per carries last season. They were inefficient runners last year. There's no disputing that. They're very similar fantasy football assets at this very moment, Javorius Allen and Jeremy Langford. Jeremy Langford is more valuable because he sits on top of a depth chart, definitively. Javorius Allen does not. The Ravens depth chart has Justin Forsett slotted in the primary running back chair. No one that knows anything thinks that Justin Forsett is going to lead the Ravens running backs in touches in 2016. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Well, Matt Waldman does. But Jeremy Langford's tenuous position at the top of the Bears depth chart is the only reason why his ADP is many rounds earlier than Javorius Allen. Otherwise, they are strikingly similar fantasy assets. And they're assets that I'm buying because think about it. My yards per carry would have been low as a rookie too if every linebacker was leaning forward thinking stop the run first. Dare them to pass. That's what Ravens opponents were thinking last year. That's what Bears opponents were thinking last year. Dare them to pass. Dare them to pass. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. Do it. Throw the ball, Jay Cutler. Throw the ball, Matt Schaub. It's easier to stop the run when you don't respect the opposing quarterback. That was a problem that Jay Cutler and Javorius Allen suffered last season. I dare you to throw it, Matt Schaub. I dare you to throw me a pick six. I'm on my toes. And if you think about handing it off to Javorius Allen, we are going to stuff him. Because the last thing we're thinking about is getting on our heels and running with these wide receivers. We could care less about that with Matt Schaub under center. Get out of here. Give me that pick six. Yeah. Attack, 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 attack. 
If you're a defensive coordinator facing the Ravens in the second half of last season, all you're thinking is attack. And if you're a defensive coordinator facing the Bears, your mentality is, I hope they throw the ball 40 times. Oh, please. Please let Jay Cutler make 40 decisions with the football. I dare you to sling it out to Mark Mariani in the flat, Jay. Do it, Jay Cutler. Do it. Do it. Poor Javorius Allen. Poor Jeremy Langford. And this suboptimal situation was most evident when you look at Javorius Allen's red zone efficiency last year. Shared by TJ Hernandez, a writer for 4 for 4, Javorius Allen had 32 red zone opportunities. With a 36.71 red zone expected value that returned a total points of 12. Negative 24.7 red zone expected value for Javorius Allen last season. Why was that? Because unlike most teams that had a quarterback that could threaten the end zone, the Ravens did not. You think it's because Javorius Allen's bad at scoring touchdowns? Hell no! In Javorius Allen's junior year at Southern California, he was sharing a backfield with Trey Madden. Trey Madden was the five-star recruit that the USC coaches wanted to feed, but Javorius Allen was too damn good. In that season, despite receiving less carries than Trey Madden, Javorius Allen posted 14 touchdowns. Trey Madden posted three. Javorius Allen came into the league with a nose for the end zone, yet had the lowest red zone efficiency last season. Why do you think that is? It's hard enough to run the ball in the red zone when the spaces are constricted and the defense is in attack mode already. Now make your quarterback some unholy combination of Jimmy Clausen, Matt Schaub, and Ryan Mallett. How's your efficiency going to be in high leverage situations? I'm guessing bad, and that's what happened to Javorius Allen last season. But guess who had a positive expected value from red zone touches last season? Jeremy Lankford plus 8.9 was sixth among qualified running backs on to another buzzard message buzzard writes in you have four quarterbacks who you think could be the number one quarterback in fantasy Russell Wilson Cam Newton Andrew Luck and Ben Roethlisberger and yeah so that's true any one of those four quarterbacks could become the number one quarterback in fantasy. Ben Roethlisberger's chances just decreased because Le'Veon Bell will miss four games, but he'll have D'Angelo Williams during those four games, so it's not a big deal for Ben Roethlisberger. He still has an opportunity to be prolific in 2016. But you're right. You're right. I do this all the time. As prescient as some of my advice has been, especially lately, this week with Arian Foster and Le'Veon Bell, I do have my flaws as a fantasy sports analyst. One of them is I always have 10 players in my top five. You know this about me. Those of you that wake up every morning, walk out the door, and as you're walking down the doorstep, see the gift I have laid at your feet and turn on the show, you also know that there's going to be 10 players in my top five. That's just how I do it. I get carried away, and I'm not sorry about it. Because that buzzard didn't even list all the quarterbacks that I believe could be the number one quarterback in fantasy this year because he forgot Tom Brady. If we change the measurement system and look at points per game, then Tom Brady could absolutely be the number one quarterback in fantasy. He was 
for most of 2015, so why couldn't he do it in 2016 with upgraded weapons? Healthy Rob Gronkowski, healthy Deion Lewis, healthy Julian Edelman, and now this sneaky athletic Chris Hogan. We say sneaky because he's white. And the addition of top tight end Martellus Bennett and Malcolm Mitchell from Georgia, one of my favorite wide receivers in the 2016 draft. Major weapons upgrade for Tom Brady. Also addition by subtraction, getting rid of Brandon LaFell. So Tom Brady has upgraded weapons and the Patriots did not add a between the tackles grinder to complement LeGarrette Blunt. If LeGarrette Blunt gets cut, it'll be damn it, Donald Brown. This does not sound like a team that is focused on running the ball in any way whatsoever in 2016. So I believe the front office and the coaching staff are moving toward the Golden State Warriors offense. They've identified the pass play as the efficient play in their arsenal, and they're going to focus on that. Just like the Golden State Warriors, focus on three-pointers. And as an added bonus, the way Tom Brady will lead the NFL in pass attempts per game is by arriving on the scene in week five with a full DGAF attitude. Fuck you. We're going to win every game by 50. That's the type of Tom Brady I want to see as a fantasy football enthusiast in week five. I want Tom Brady to audible out of every run play every time. And who would put that past him? Why wouldn't he do that? Of all the quarterbacks in the league positioned to do just that, it would be Tom Brady. Tom Brady is one of the few quarterbacks that has the gravitas to walk up to the line of scrimmage every time there's a run play called, look around and go, mm, no. Mm, well, let me think. Mm, okay, no. Okay, let's think. No. Okay, well, actually, we might want to run. The, no. So the defense is giving us the run play. If we want to take it, we can. No. Like Garrett, no. Maybe handoff, no. Like Garrett, no. Maybe handoff, no. Tom Brady has the courage and the gravitas to simply call a pass play every time. No other quarterback since Peyton Manning retired is that kind of powerful presence in the huddle. So I think Tom Brady is one of the great values in fantasy football. Don't focus on the four games he's going to miss. Focus on the 12 games he is going to shred. In my Apex Fantasy League, I'm drafting Tom Brady. Apex Leagues is an exciting place to play seasonal fantasy football for real money. With a skill-based format and industry-leading payouts, Apex ensures that the best players win big money. Apex hosts 12-team PPR leagues that provide a variety of drafting options, live or email, serpentine or auction. Apex also offers dynasty leagues. Yay! And if you're worried your format won't fill, don't worry. Apex will pump up the prize pool to make sure the leagues are full pretty cool. And not only does Apex have high stakes payouts, if you truly trust your fantasy football skills, Apex is the place to play that mitigates randomness. The platform features blind bidding, i.e. fair free agent acquisitions, and two matchups per week versus single head-to-head -head matchups that are laced with randomness. So this way you can compete against multiple owners each week and not worry as much about an arbitrary strength of schedule. So go to apexfantasyleagues.com and sign up today. It's true. Tom Brady is the only quarterback in the league with the courage and the gravitas to call his own plays. I don't think Aaron Rodgers can do it because Aaron Rodgers can't even stand up for the most athletic wide receiver on his roster. 
Because according to Bob McGinn, a beat reporter for the Green Bay Packers, Janice's roster spot is not a lock. And this is why I read Roto World. Because the Roto World analysis of Bob McGinn's commentary is that Janice has nothing to worry about. As much as we lament Roto World on this show, Roto World is the great value creator because they are generating more worry about more players than there needs to be worry about players. They're generating more hype about players than there needs to be hype about players. But they do a great service in that they decode the commentary of beat reporters, assuring me that Janice will make the 53-man roster, that he is an essential lock to make the team because of his special team's prowess at the very least. But the fact that we are still talking about Jeff Janice's special team's prowess at this point, after he embarrassed Patrick Peterson in a playoff game, is vexing to the highest order. And the reason why Bob McGinn believes Jeff Janis's roster spot may be in jeopardy is because scouts have downgraded Jeff Janis on the basis of his straight-line athleticism, tendency to body catch, and average ability to adjust. (laughs) I mean, can you show a little bit of creativity when you're self-scouting Green Bay scouts? It's such an affront Do you have to just copy and paste and plagiarize Jeff Janis's pre-draft scouting report two years later? Are you that unimaginative? So I reached out to Evan Silva on Twitter and said, Evan, what do you make of this? And he says, I wouldn't read too much into it. When Bob McGinn says scouts, what he really means, that may be code for Ted Thompson. That Ted Thompson is still eager to see his second round Ferrari, Devontae Adams, run the race. This is why draft capital matters. Because when a player is drafted in the first or second round, he is often given more chances to perform than he deserves by the front office, who is invested in the success of the player. Because that player's success is tied to their competence. If they cut Devontae Adams... It is an indictment of Ted Thompson's talent evaluation prowess. Think about it. That's why Devontae Adams isn't going anywhere. That's why Ty Montgomery isn't going anywhere. And that's why Jeff Janis's roster spot is in jeopardy. That's the logic ladder Bob McGinn is climbing. And I don't necessarily disagree with it because Ted Thompson is one of the worst general managers in the league, and he is the most overrated general manager. Most people know that Thomas Dimitrov in Atlanta is a below-replacement general manager. Most people know that. Most people do not know that Ted Thompson is perpetually overrated by individuals across the football community. Ted Thompson lacks leadership because he is because he is allowing a sunk cost dilemma to cripple his personnel management. It's conceivable that he creates a suboptimal roster to satiate his own ego, to protect his own reputation. And that is one of the hallmarks of incompetent leadership. And that is one of the hallmarks of incompetent leadership. Let me make a decision for my own good at the expense of the team. And now, because the Packers have reached for wide receivers in consecutive years, first Devontae Adams, then Ty Montgomery, now they have a two-headed sunk cost dilemma. And the irony is, Devontae Adams' best comparable player is Ty Montgomery, and Ty Montgomery's best comparable player is Devontae Adams. They look like clones of one another. It's not surprising 
that Ted Thompson drafted Ty Montgomery if he likes players that look like Devontae Adams. But Ty Montgomery is a poor man's version of Devontae Adams. He's smaller, less athletic, and was less productive at the college level. Both Ty Montgomery and Devontae Adams should be cut in a world of rational personnel management, but that's not going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. This report from Bob McGinn that was surfaced by Roto World ruined my day on Wednesday. I was having a great day on Wednesday. Roto World ruined it by asking a fair question. Is Jeff Janis's roster spot secure given the sunk cost dilemma that Ted Thompson is now facing? Thanks a lot, Evan Silva, for stressing me out unnecessarily. I am now constricted with stress and tension. This is why people opt to live in the matrix. It's just easier sometimes to be carefree and not worry about the decision dynamics happening in Green Bay that could doom your favorite player. And at this point, if the Green Bay coaches and scouts are not applauding Jeff Janis for his on-field production and efficiency and his off-field work ethic, then the Packers don't deserve Jeff Janis. Then Jeff Janis would be better off playing for a team that appreciates him. Jeff Janis would be better off on the Panthers. Jeff Janis would be better off on the Patriots. Jeff Janis would be better off on the Seahawks. Oh, he would be the starting X receiver for the Seahawks. Oh, whew. Seahawks need a big prototypical outside receiver. The Steelers need a replacement for Martavis Bryant. Jeff Janis fits that perfectly. Jeff Janis would fit in nicely with Brandon Cooks and Willie Sneed on the Saints. He's better than Terrence Williams. Would be a great fit on the Cowboys. Jeff Janis would be a significant upgrade over Mohamed Sanu on the Falcons. And he would be the perfect complement to A.J. Green on the Bengals. Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers do not deserve Jeff Janis. And I say Aaron Rodgers because all of these problems, all of the stress that I've been feeling, it could all be washed away with three words from Aaron Rodgers. Pick up the phone. Look up Ted Thompson's name in the directory. Hit the call button. Let's keep Janice, hang up. That's all Aaron Rodgers has to say to Ted Thompson and problem solved. With the support of Aaron Rodgers, Janice would be on the best possible roster for his skill set. Thinking about Jeff Janice playing the X receiver position in Green Bay with Jordy Nelson at Z and Randall Cobb at Y, that would make a tingle run down the spine of anyone that understands an optimal talent configuration for a roster. But that's not what's happening. Aaron Rodgers is refusing to endorse Jeff Janis. And by refusing to endorse Jeff Janis, he is essentially rejecting Jeff Janis's candidacy to be a starting wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers. And he's wrong. Aaron Rodgers is wrong to do this. I don't know if this comes from a place of arrogance where Aaron Rodgers thinks he can win with inferior talent, or maybe he's just excited for the challenge. Unlike Kevin Durant... Maybe Aaron Rodgers wants to win in a more challenging atmosphere where you don't have Jeff Janis on the field stretching the defense and making big plays. He would rather not have that advantage. It's not enough of a challenge to overcome 31 other teams at the peak of your profession. It's not enough. Let's make it harder. Yeah, let's make it harder. Let's do it with either Devontae Adams or Ty Montgomery getting an 80% snap share. Yeah, then that's an accomplishment. Yes, Aaron, yes. You're a hero. You're brave. You don't want to win the easy way, right, Aaron Rodgers? Winning with Jeff Janis would be like cheating. No, no. 
make sure the members of the local media know that the Green Bay Packers don't need Jeff Janis. That deep down inside, you're just not sure you can trust him when the game is on the line. Except when the whole season is on the line against the Arizona Cardinals in the most challenging game situation. Except then. Except then. Aaron Rodgers has the power to restore order to the Green Bay wide receiver core and solve their sunk cost dilemma with one phone call to Ted Thompson that he refuses to make. So Aaron Rodgers, unlike the perpetually hyper-competitive and independent-thinking Tom Brady, apparently Aaron Rodgers is too much of a corporate citizen to challenge management, even though he knows, he knows deep down. He knows, he has to know by now, that having Jeff Janis on the field gives the Packers the best chance to win. And yet he will not stand up for Jeff Janis, and that makes Aaron Rodgers a coward. Except when the whole season is on the line against the Arizona Cardinals in the most challenging game situation. Except then. Except then.